It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Am I excited about the 12th of December? Not particularly. The time for protest is over. It's time for leadership. And that is what this government provides. In every town and village in this country, Labour will be there giving a message of real hope where this government offers nothing. People have a very clear choice. If they want Brexit, they can vote for Labour or the Conservatives of the Brexit Party. And if they want to stop Brexit, they need to vote for the Liberal Democrats. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Salik. Good afternoon. I'm Roger Hearing. Uh, four days to go? Something like that. It's Monday. We vote on Thursday. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Uh, the blitz of the Labour heartlands, isn't it, for Boris Johnson? He was at that fish market in Grimsby, which is a seat that they've tried so hard, the Tories, to get. They haven't had it since the Second World War. Uh, they came pretty close. Well, they're at 2,500 votes in it at the moment, so they're making that shot. The Prime Minister's touring those Leave voting areas. He's accusing Jeremy Corbyn of a betrayal over Brexit. We can't have more paralysis and gridlock in Parliament. We cannot have next year Groundhog Day. Let's have next year's year of prosperity and growth. Meanwhile, Labour's been laying out its plans for its first 100 days in office, which includes starting the process of nationalising utilities. The Shadow Justice Secretary, Richard Bergen, says it works well elsewhere. It's all about uh, getting our public services back up to the level uh, of other countries in Europe because if other countries can do it, I don't see why we should. I don't see why we should be the poor relation of people and public services uh, just uh, across the channel. And for their part, the Lib Dems say they're going to go to work to stopping Brexit immediately. I did love that picture of Boris Johnson with the fish, though. A classic. It well, it, the there, there, there's, there's a sort of subreddit of prime ministers holding animals. It was a very famous one oh, of amazing. Margaret Thatcher with a a pig, I think, or a car. How do I not know about this? I love yeah. it. Go for it. Go for it. It's so all good, good. stuff. Uh, and then, of course, you've got David Cameron and the Huskies. It get, you've got a, quite a variety of animals, haven't you? You can start a zoo. Uh, anyway, let's bring in Ewan Potts, Bloomberg's Ewan Potts. Uh, you've been looking at the polls, haven't you? We had our last batch, you could say, of Sunday polling coming through for this election cycle. What's the trend been since we spoke last? Yeah, we're nine days into December, and according to my tally, we've had nine polls so far. Uh, let me bring you uh, the Bloomberg five-poll average we've been reporting right throughout the campaign. And uh, not a lot of change, actually, interestingly, over the last week. Conservatives on 43, Labour on 33, the Lib Dems on 12, Brexit 3, Green 2, and SNP. Four. Now, the change on last week, uh, Labour and the Tories both had no change. The Lib Dems down one point. Now, that's the most consistent it's been over the uh, weeks we've been talking about this. It's quite interesting that polls do seem to settle down with a Conservative lead of 10 points. Now, just looking at the uh, seats, uh, the uh, sporting index spread, bet- spread betting market, the Conservatives 348, that's up eight seats uh, on uh, last week. Uh, the, Conserv- uh, the Labour Party on 214, that's down four seats, uh, and the Lib Dems on 12. 20 down one. That translates into a Conservative majority, according to people putting money uh, on the uh, spread betting markets, of about 50.
But the problem, I mean, is divergence in a lot of these things. Because what you see, I mean, I saw a poll just yesterday with the gap as tight as six points. I've also seen one this morning with 14 points. Plus, how on earth do we actually map that onto seats where there's such a huge difference in the way these things work? Yeah, absolutely. They do seem to be uh, rather all over the place. Over the course of the campaign, they've gone from uh, a four-point lead on the very tightest one to a uh, 19-point lead for the Conservatives. We've had quite a few up there in the uh, mid to high teens. Uh, just in fact, if you look over the last, uh, just in the last couple of days, we've had uh, a poll one with an eight-point lead and a 15-point lead on the same day. Quite instructive, I think, to look at the same company. Uh, they often do these weekly and to see how it's uh, moved across the week. So Opinion, for instance, uh, a week ago, uh, pointing to a 15-point lead Again, the same again uh, in their recent poll. Uh, Delta poll last week, uh, a 13-point lead, uh, and this time an 11-point lead. So that's perhaps more instructive. But uh, they can't all be right, and we'll find out uh, in less than 72 hours' time, or in fact, uh, it'll be a day after that, won't it? We'll find out in four days' time uh, who's right and who's wrong. And what about the ratings of the actual party leaders themselves? And also talk to us a bit about why this matters, how this plays into people's voting decisions. Yes, yeah, so important. This It's been a useful predictor of how the election is going to go. It is what people think of the party leaders. Now, we've got great data on this because Ipsos Murray have been asking this same question since 1977. So we have great data on this going back right back to the days of uh, Michael Foote, uh, Margaret Thatcher, etc. Now, Corbyn's net satisfaction rating has improved from minus 60 at the beginning of the campaign to a mere minus 44. So he's uh, doing quite well in terms of improving his uh, rating over the last uh, few weeks, indeed. Uh, The caveat, of course, hanging over his ratings that during the last uh, campaign, uh, it produced the greatest rise in any uh, satisfaction uh, rating of any election campaign over the 40 years. It it improved by about 30 points. Now, it's improving not quite as quickly this time. uh, And also, he's starting from a much worse uh, position. Now, I should also point out that Boris Johnson is not popular either. Uh, His uh, net satisfaction rating as Prime Minister is currently minus 20 and that's actually uh, been going down over the course of the campaign weird okay you'll start for 10 sebastian Uh-oh. 1977 oh. which were the two leaders oh, absolutely no idea i'm so bad at political history it wasn't lord palmerston i'll give you that no it was it was margaret thatcher yeah. and jim callaghan ah so that's the point where they got their their popularity sorted out anyway let's now talk to david merritt bloomberg senior executive editor who's joined us in the studio so uh david uh, Anthony Wells of YouGov says no one can rule out a surprise, especially after the surprise of 2017. But on the face of it, Johnson's headed for victory. That's pretty much the way it is, isn't it? That feels about right, doesn't it? I mean, you mentioned these polls that that, that are ranging from between sort of six and 14. Now, six percent ahead. That's hung Parliament territory. So, you know, if the average, as we've just heard, is 10, four points different, that is in a normal margin of error, really, when you get to an actual vote. So, you know, we are not out of the woods yet in terms of getting a Johnson majority. The markets seem to think that we are. You know, we're getting very high odds on the betting firms as well, about 80%. But, you know, the numbers for the polls don't really back that up. And as you alluded to earlier, there are lots of sort of wacky individual circumstances and lots of seats. There's a big campaign going on for tactical voting in a lot of these key marginals that the Tories are hoping to get. It wouldn't take many votes to swing it against them. So, I think we'd be a little foolish to stick our necks out right at this point. The moment where we really probably will know more clearly is 10 o'clock on Thursday. That's when the big exit poll is published, when the polls close. That's been pretty on the money in the Mm. past. I think it was just a couple of seats off in 2017. Um, But until then, I have to say, uh, the uncertainty continues. And on 
Sorry, go on, you. I was just going to say, I absolutely hate the exit poll because uh, for me, the uh, election is a bit like the World Cup final. I look forward to six hours of all the nitty gritty of the elections. Take the fun spoil a damn thing don't right at the beginning. The of the, don't, don't tell me the results at the beginning. But and then they flash it on the screen. Countries got... like France, where you just boom, you've got it, and it's always right. And it's over by 8 p.m. on a Sunday terrible. evening. You don't get to see the all nighter. <laughs> well, what about this tactical voting issue then, David? Because Best for Britain's come out yes. with this uh, with this polling that says that fewer than 41,000 tactical votes in 36 seats can stop Boris Johnson. Could be this be the thing that clinches it? Because the thing about tactical voting is it's always happened. It's nothing yep. new. No, absolutely. And, and you know, uh, how much are people going to buy into this idea as well in these key constituencies? I mean, if you if you go on to, uh, you know, all of our own echo chambers on Twitter, yeah. I, I get it straight away. But I'm not quite sure that the message is filtering down to the people that they really need to reach for this. Because and, they're not following it in the way we are. Well, exactly. They're not. Unbelievable, isn't it? They like, no one's <laughs> they have lives. Yeah, indeed. So, yes, I think there is. It is going to play a part in, in a lot of the constituencies but it's also then incredibly um, uh, difficult to predict you know because a lot of people with these wild swings in the polls a lot of people probably haven't quite made up their mind and they're also going to vote remember when it comes to it you know um, lots of voters might for instance not like Mr Johnson but be more scared of Mr Corbyn so if they think it's going to be tight they're going to cast their vote for the Conservatives but if they think he's going to romp home some of these more tactical voters might be thinking you know let's rein him in a little bit there's arguments that's what happened in 2017 that Mrs May did less well because people thought, well, we don't we don't mind her, but we don't want to have an absolute, uh, you know, 150 seat majority. So all of these come these things come into play. The polls themselves can affect the behaviour as we get closer to. And there's day. also one factor we haven't talked about at all, which is weather. Because if you look for the weather forecast on Thursday, at the moment, it's, it's we don't we don't know po- polling's inaccurate. Weather forecasting makes it look like a real science because mm-hmm. you you just don't know what's going to happen. But I did see a very interesting uh, statistic from the American election. They said. If a 1% rise in temperature represented a 0.1% increase in the number of people who voted. Now, how does weather play here? I don't know. We haven't had a winter election for a very long time. But, you know, actually, the the turnout numbers for those votes, I think, back in the 70s, which were, I think, in January and February, were actually pretty decent. But, you know... You can't really tell. If it is, at one point last week, we thought it might be snowing, uh, certainly in the north of England. And these are the key battlegrounds, right, up in the northeast of England. If the weather is, you know, it gets dark at three o'clock in the afternoon. You know, it could be raining, it could be wet. Do people really care that much about Brexit after three years of wrangling to get out (laughs) and go and tromp and queue in the rain? Well, it's just going to have to see. I mean, you know, passions are running high on this. But as you say, for, you know, the British obsession with the weather might actually become a deciding factor. I, I think the evidence suggests that the key thing that correlates with turnover is how interesting the election is. So if you go back to 2001, which is perhaps the dullest election in, in modern times, when everybody knew that Tony Blair would get an enormous majority again, turnout I think was 59%. It was really, really low. So they've actually been rising since then as elections get quite interesting. And this is going to be another interesting election. It should be close, or at least that's what polls, some of the polls are saying. So whether weather plays into it is an interesting factor. The forecast at the moment looks pretty bad uh, for for the weather on Thursday, by the way. Another interesting one. 1992, John Major won. First time he won. He still has the largest number of Tory votes, votes in his favour, of any Conservative leader. Was it it not trumped by Theresa May last time? No, don't think so. Not in terms of actual numbers. Don't think so. We'll have to check that one. Pretty sure he still stands for having that. And it didn't... Well, it won him that... Didn't win in much fun, though. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, and a very small majority. But that's the problem. It's how you, exactly you were saying about the northern constituencies, if that is where the weather is worst, theoretically fewer people vote. Will that play for Labour? Will that pay for the Brexit party? Will yeah, it pay it's, for Tories? it's really, really hard to predict. Who cares the most um, about the outcome to actually get out and, and bother? And also, as I was saying earlier, what 
where are we at the polls? You know, do people think their vote's going to count? You know, if you think in if you think it's a, it's sewn up for for one side, you may be more inclined to stay at home. So I think that all of this means on a seat by seat basis is really really complex. This and I think adding those poll numbers and applying them across the country doesn't tell you the answer. You know success when you see it, or you think you do. The people in the spotlight: athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do. That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Let's have a look at what else is making the news in the world of politics. Yeah, well, there's quite a lot in the papers this morning in the opinion area. I think people are sensing that this is the moment to make your pitch finally mm. uh, to, to people from all sides. And let me read you out this piece from The Eye, because speaks by Ian Birrell. He says, we are being offered a devil's choice between Boris Johnson and Jeremy Corbyn, as neither man deserves our trust. There's no good outcome to this election, he says. Voters are being offered an abysmal and demeaning choice, which highlights the urgent need for political reform. There are f- many fine people on both sides of the tribal divide, yet neither of the party's leaders tussling for the keys to Downing Street can be trusted to salve our troubled nation's festering wounds. As former occupant Tony Blair said last week, better a parliament hung for want of a majority than a country that's hung for want of good leadership. Yeah, I suppose that plays into the get Brexit done message and some rebuttals that say, are we just doing it for the sake of it? Uh, And that's the general thrust of that argument. I've got this piece in The Telegraph, uh, says here are Nigel Farage's six big tactics. We're not going to list them all, by the way. No, we're not. We're just going to give you a little (laughs) bit of a flavour. He says the Brexit party party supporters drifted from 30% to 14% when Boris Johnson became Prime Minister and now to 3% following his arrival back from Brussels with a negotiated deal. He says, while this can be interpreted as a disaster for the Brexit party, I see it as a success for Brexit. This is by Lance Foreman. He's one of the MEPs who left the Brexit party. One of the defectors. Yes, in uh, protest of uh, John Longworth's sacking. So he very much has a stake in the game in in this story. Now, one other piece, very poignant piece, actually, in the Mirror today, focusing attention, of course, on the NHS, which has very much been Jeremy Corbyn's pitch to the electorate. Uh, A little boy with a suspect with suspect pneumonia was forced to sleep on a cold hospital floor for more than four hours because of a shortage of beds, the mirror says. His desperate mum covered her four-year-old son in coats in a bid to keep him warm and comfortable, and when he was eventually moved to a ward, the youngster endured another five hours on a trolley before a bed was found. And this is, uh, they're very much putting that out there to say that this is the state of the NHS currently. Yeah, it's, it's a very powerful image as well, which we can't get across in an audio medium, but this is the sort of thing, really, that the Labour Party would want to be running with in the days running up to the election, given their uh, their, their, their position on the NHS. Right, well, let's bring in our guest for this part of the programme. I'm very pleased to say we can welcome the Lord Mayor of the City of London, William Russell. Uh, thank you very much for being with us. Welcome to you. Thank um, you for having me. Let me put it to you. What outcome in this election would be most helpful for the people that you represent and try and uh, put, whose views you try and put around the world? So up, up front, um, first of all, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm the 692nd Lord Mayor of this great city. 
Um, firstly, up front, I'm uh, independent, and uh, we will uh, work with whoever uh, wins on Thursday. Um, but it would be fair to say that um, uh, clarity is something we're looking for, um, so that uh, confidence that can come back uh, to to the city and to the UK. So translating that into outcomes, and I'm not putting you on any side of this, right. something that allows a government to govern would be useful. That would be certainly be helpful. I mean, we've always said <clears throat> that we were against no deal in the city of London, and um, and that hasn't changed at all. And um, and we're looking forward to to um, some you know some sort of we assume that Brexit will happen, and we're looking forward to taking that forward. And you're travelling around. You're going on a tour tomorrow to uh, to San Francisco and Mexico. Is that right? That that's correct. Um, I but before that, just stepping back a bit. I um, uh, when I started my tenure, and I'm only a month in. November the ninth was the day that I became um, Lord Mayor. Um, I have been to Manchester and Leeds mm-hmm. and uh, and Northern Ireland, and it was the first time in the tenure of, of the Lord Mayor that um, I've gone to to regions early on. Uh, it was a bit of a call to action to go and visit a lot of the fintech companies out there and and say, look, I'm over the overseas for 100 days of the year, going to visit 20 different countries. My first trip is tomorrow. Um, I go to San Francisco. And the good news is that some of the people we met in Manchester, a, a VC from Manchester is coming with us, uh, uh, and plus VCs from, from London, plus some fintech companies, and we're taking them across right. to San Francisco. And so what are the responses? I don't know if you had much a sort of intercontinental dialogue, but certainly from the companies you've been working with here, what are their responses to Brexit? What are they after? Well... I mean, I think considering the referendum three and a half years ago, I think London and the city of London has done remarkably well. Mm. Um, you know, I point out that uh, over 515,000 people come to the city every day. Um, you know, I put Brexit in this, this box and we're con- business is continuing. I mean, fintech has been a huge success story. And I generally believe the next big success story, which is already out there, is green finance. I think the momentum in that space is enormous. I think the news about the Governor of Bank of England was hugely positive for the city uh, moving coming the UNM. Uh, and um, and so most of them, to be frank, are saying Brexit's there. Not much I can do about it. Let's hope we have some clarity. But in the meantime, I'm out there promoting my sectors as they uh, uh, as well as they can. And what do they want to hear from you? Do you expect? What do you think the people in Mexico and San Francisco are going to say to you? Because almost certainly they're going to say, "Well, we can't really deal with you until we know what." What's going to happen? Well, I'm out there when the election result comes, so it may vary uh, depending on on, on on what the result is. But I think what they want to hear is that it, it is we're still open for business. We're still uh, the city of London is still one of the great financial centres of the world, along with New York. And yes, you know, other Asian countries are, are doing well, but we're still number one. And one of the reasons is is because we have this uh, we have this great environment. We have talent. I mean, my my. Um, theme for the year is global UK trade, innovation and culture. And if I just focus on the culture bit, you know, this is a great city to live in. We have 110 theatres, we have schools, we have uh, rule of law, we have every, the time zone. I mean, there's so many positives about living in London. And, uh, and I think that hasn't changed despite Brexit. But there are many negatives, not yeah. least in terms of infrastructure, in terms of keeping things going. Many people will also, who might be talking to you, will say, well, what about taxis? If I come and live in your city, am I going to be paying an awful lot of money to do so? Uh, you know, in a way, it is a political point, but it's one they're going to ask you. Yeah, it's one they'll ask me, and I'll say I'll have a bit more of an idea after Thursday. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, I mean, we we know whatever whatever happens on Thursday is going to affect the city, and and we will react accordingly to it. But I think it doesn't change the fact that we've got um, 
you know, we've got this, this the, the great city, and there could be some negatives after there. There could be some positives. But and um, what uh, about the trade strand of your theme? Uh, assuming that the polls are right, assuming that Boris Johnson wins a majority, and that we get Brexit uh, delivered, or at least the the, the law passed mm-hmm. in January, we're then into the talks with the EU about the future trading partnership. Mm-hmm. Do you worry that that might not be struck within the year deadline? Well, I, I, we will work as hard as possible to make the trade, the trade, the trade deals um, uh, happen as soon as possible. Um, I think that you know what we have in the city, the regulation, and 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 you know all all the the various institutions here uh, is is to our is one of our strengths. So I think whatever happens with if it, if Brexit goes according to happens uh, according to the timetable, then our negotiations from the city's perspective are going to be hugely positive because. You know, we've been part of that already, and it's not in the EU's uh, uh, interests to suddenly come down and say, well, let's change everything around financial services. So I think we'll work closely together. We know them well. Um, Dubrovsky was over the other day, and you know what he said about equivalence. And uh, I think that's positive. So it's a question of us you know, working as as fast as possible to the to the timetable. Yeah, but the key for the city yeah. of London has been the financial services, of course. Yes. Stating the obvious, yeah. uh, passporting has been a very big part of that. The mm. fact that by going to London, you can get mm. access to the rest of Europe. Mm. Um, Frankfurt and Paris would love to have a bit of our yes. of what's here. Mm. I mean, at the moment, you could see why someone might say, "Well, actually, I'm, I don't know what's going to happen." Maybe even after this week, we won't know necessarily because the the, the deal is not mm. clear in some areas. They're going to say, "Why on earth should I listen to you and come to London?" Well, a, a number of reasons, um, and there, 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 one institution which will remain nameless told me a, a story about how they were going to move some people to Frankfurt, and and they they spoke to to, to their people and said, look, um, you know, we'd like somebody to go to Frankfurt, and they said, well, we understand that, and and um, for their careers, etc., they were positive about going to Frankfurt. Within 24 hours, they came back and said, I will weekly commute rather than, uh, and my family will stay in London. I think you can't underestimate that. Um, I've no Frankfurt, and uh, and I when I worked for Merrill Lynch, it was I used to go to Germany a lot, and I know Paris. And when I worked for Merrill Lynch again, uh, and all I can say is that there is no equivalent to what we have here in London. And 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 that people bit is is the talent, which I come back to, is a critical part of that. So yes, there are issues, and I'm I'm convinced we can get over those issues because I also think that you know if we can be. Uh, you know, and we will be friendly to our Euro- European friends because we need to work together, and it's in their interests and in our interests to uh, to 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 make that happen. Look, we will lose some things to Frankfurt and Paris and Dublin, and we have already, but you know, it's not nearly as bad. I mean, I remember the eighty-five thousand job figure that came out a week after. Uh, after the Brexit referendum, and you know it's below ten thousand. Now there could be more to come, but we'll do our so utmost. Currently, it's below ten thousand jobs. But apparently, below ten thousand jobs have changed. And you're not worried about European citizens, so many of whom work over here and work in the city, going home. No, I think that as I said, coming back to my talent point, I'm not worried about that. Mm-hmm. We will embrace the talent, and I'm sure whoever's in power will embrace the talent. And um, will you attract new business? Because because that that, that no. is at the core of it. That. You're absolutely right. I think that is that is the, that is a challenge um, because some of the new businesses we saw from the, a recent survey that a lot of them have been opening in Paris. Um, I believe we will because it comes back to that ecosystem that you you know about. You know, Bloomberg's here. Um, there is an ecosystem. It comes a, down to the bottom line, though, doesn't well, it? Well, it does. But I think the bottom line, the bottom line, the ecosystem helps the bottom line. And don't underestimate it. I mean, I'm going to America partly to to tell our our VC friends in San Francisco, you're missing out on fintech. 
I point out in the nicest possible way that chip and pin's not even in America at the moment. Uh, and they, they're beginning to realize that. You know, we've got 31 of the top 50 fintech companies are based here. We've got the unicorns coming, you know, left, right and center. And, and I think that's uh, hugely positive. And I think our American VC friends are looking and saying, look, there's an opportunity here. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.